What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Raising Adults. Kira and Dina here, and we are looking forward to sharing with you yet again today. And this is a little bit of maybe a more vulnerable and heavy topic, so I want to give you that disclaimer and kind of that heads up because this is sensitive, but it's something a lot of people deal with, and we've noticed how important it is and that it can sometimes even get swept under the rug, and we want to really bring it out into the light and examine it and let people know this is normal and there's there's ways to cope. So what we're going to be talking about today is the whole spectrum of postpartum mood disorders, everything from, you know, how do you know maybe it's just the baby blues all the way to the more severe things with postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis. And I'm really thankful that I have you as a co-host today because I know you actually have some direct experience with this, but also I think you lend something to the discussion as a mental health professional. So I'm really grateful for that too. And I will say as as we launch in, just that I have a strong why around this as a birth professional myself, being in the pregnancy and birth world for so long now, almost two decades, I've definitely seen this time and again and see how important it is that it's talked about and addressed. And from the time of my very first birth all the way back in 2002, the conversation around this is really growing, which I'm glad to see, but I think that absolutely needs to continue. So that's why it's important to me is just I've watched people struggle and maybe not know what the resources are or feel even safe talking about it. So that's a big deal to me. But I want to be honest that I don't have this this intimate firsthand experience with it. Most of mine has come through clients and having to maybe offer them referrals or make sure they had resources. And another thing I will say as a doula is, and I, I you may plan to touch on this, so hopefully I'm not going to dip my toe too much into what you're going to chat about, but that please don't underestimate those of you listening that birth trauma can also result in this it is not just about what happens after or maybe you're feeling about connection to your baby or babies but our births really matter and so i can definitely say as a doula and someone who's come alongside people during that time that gateway into parenting can be kind of a catalyst or a trigger and so it's important to talk about that too i just wanted to at least mention that. Mm-hmm. But I know you have a lot to share, so I want to let you get to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things I've talked about on this podcast is that I got ultimately uncomfortable with the hypnobirthing model because of the pressure for a perfect birth. And I, I didn't like that because birth, unfortunately, just does go sideways a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of the things I liked about the program was the recognition that that birth does really set the tone sometimes for your transition to motherhood. Not always. I know women who've had very traumatic births and did not struggle with this at all, but it is a factor. And if you actually look at risk factors of PPMD, it's one of them. Birth trauma is one of them. So I'm glad you said that because it it is something that sometimes we go, well, everyone's healthy. The baby's fine. You know, and we're not looking at what was that experience of coming into motherhood like for that woman. Because the, the one thing I will say is a Natural birth is most often an extremely empowering experience. And I think it's designed that way because as we come into motherhood, we need to feel empowered. We're about to embark on the biggest question mark of our lives and the most important, as we believe here at Raising Adults. So you better have a pretty 
rock solid empowerment experience. I mean, I think it's a beautiful design, right? We're supposed to feel euphoric and we're supposed to feel strong and like like we just rocked something really hard. And if you think about that, that makes sense as a, as a setup for, hey, here's this baby you got to take care of. Mm-hmm. But you're like, well, I just rocked that super hard. So I think I've got this. I can totally be responsible for a person. Yeah. So I think that birth is, is, a, is supposed to be a great setup for that. And sometimes it just doesn't go that way. Yeah. And, and I think it's so important what you just said. So, yeah, I want to talk I want to talk about this on a whole bunch of different levels. But the why for wanting to talk about it is my own experience. Um, I just know I'm going to get emotional today. So we just have to, like, all prepare ourselves for that. But um, I definitely struggled with postpartum depression. And it's something I feel like even seven and a half years later, I am still unpacking. Mm-hmm. I think that's often common for women who go through this because of how it shapes your transition to motherhood and how you view yourself as a mother, your feelings of shame and failure that just come with this, which is super yucky that that's just a part of the package. Most women experience that. So what happened for me was after coming out of the thick of that, I became really passionate about helping other women either go through it or possibly preventing it by talking about it. And I think that's the why for me. Is anyone listening who either is expecting or is in the thick of postpartum mood disorder or went through postpartum mood disorder and maybe didn't hear some of these things, I Mm -hmm. want them to hear it today. Right. Because this is the other thing is sometimes women don't get diagnosed for years Mm -hmm. and maybe they're even through it. And then they look back and they go, wait a second, I think I had that. Yes. Right? And what a mess. So so I want to start by just unpacking what is postpartum mood disorder. We used to call it postpartum depression. They changed it to encompass postpartum anxiety and postpartum psychosis. And those are three nuanced different things. So postpartum depression is what we think of most often as like, Women can't get out of bed. They're maybe teary all the time. They feel detached from the baby. They might have thoughts of harming themselves. They might have thoughts of running away. They might have thoughts of harming their baby. Just a general unhappiness at this new situation that they find themselves in. Postpartum anxiety often shows itself as just really intrusive thoughts that are usually around something happening to the baby, something happening to the mom. A great example, I had a client once who um, was just having a delightful mothering experience, like loved being a mom, but she would be, you know, making a sandwich and suddenly she'd have this like vivid image of the knife rolling off the counter all the way down to the baby that's in the bouncy chair and stabbing the baby. And this like violent image. Mm. And that's a great example of postpartum anxiety where we're not depressed. We're very attached to the baby. In fact, we're so attached to the baby that we're actually worried we might accidentally harm them. Mm -hmm. And that can show itself as like not wanting to leave the house and those kinds of things, not being able to sleep even when the opportunity presents itself. And then postpartum psychosis I knew less about. So I did a little bit of research because I wanted to get this right. This is a, a very interesting and important facet of PPMD. So it's extremely rare. It affects about 0.1% of new mothers. However, that number rises to 30% in women who have bipolar disorder. So if you're expecting and you have bipolar, it's really important that you're setting yourself up for what might happen on the other side of having a baby. Um, The symptoms of postpartum psychosis, this is hard, so I'm just going to like say this is hard stuff, folks. Uh, Confusion and cognitive impairment that may come and go, coming in and out of consciousness, extremely disorganized behavior, hallucinations or delusions. Um, And it is considered an emergency. 
and it needs to be treated right away. There is hospitalization involved. So again, it's very, very rare, but if you have bipolar and you don't know that this could happen to you, and I've unfortunately seen this with a couple that I taught hypnobirthing to, they had no idea. I didn't know. Mm. And she ended up having postpartum psychosis and they became very vocal and active about letting people know, hey, if you have this disorder, you need to be on this from the get-go. So we've got postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and postpartum uh, psychosis. So there are some things that predispose you to one of these things other than bipolar um, that predispose you to specifically um, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And they are things like your mother had it. So it is genetic. Mm. Um, The baby's temperament. So, and this is like a duh, but if you have a baby that's like that angel baby that you hear about that sleeps all night long and you kind of want to punch that mom in the face a little bit, um, (laughs) um, you know, that's going to maybe affect how you feel about your situation differently than if you have a colicky baby that screams all night long, right? And now you're not getting any rest and any break. Um, So baby's temperament, lack of support. And that can also include marital stress. So if you if the mom feels like the partner's not participating or not helping um, or there's not enough support around, that can definitely cause um, postpartum mood disorder. A history of depression. So if you yourself have had depression in the past, you are more likely to suffer from PPMD. Um, having a child in the NICU, so an early birth, a traumatic birth, multiples. So if you kind of piece together my story, I have like all of these things. Um, I My mom had postpartum depression with me. Uh, we had multiples. We had a child in the NICU, a traumatic birth. Like it's not shocking. Oh, and here's another one. And this is an interesting one infertility or multiple losses. And this is such a tricky one because I think what happens sometimes is women who have really struggled to have a baby go one way or the other. So either the baby's finally here and it's just like the baby's here. I don't care what it looks like. I'm so happy the baby's here. Or they end up having some kind of postpartum mood disorder and then there's guilt and shame around I worked so hard for this and now I'm struggling. What does that say about me? Here's the interesting thing. And I it's I knew all these things before I was just double checking all my facts. But when I was double checking all my facts, I was looking at this list and it's like, okay, so your mom had it. The baby is, you know, a hard baby. Um, you've had losses. Maybe there's multiples, maybe a traumatic birth. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, none of this has anything to do with the mom. And I think that's the key thing. Like if anybody listening took anything from today, it's that postpartum mood disorder has nothing to do with you. It's not a reflection of you or your parenting. It is quite literally sometimes a chemical imbalance. Mm -hmm. We literally don't know who's going to get it and who isn't, which is terrible, but true. And I think that unfortunately then on the flip side of that is we as the mothers experience it absolutely see it as a reflection. Oh, for sure. And take it quite personally. Yeah. I, what am I doing wrong? That it's wrong? some reflection on not only who we are as a parent, but then just who we are as a person, as yes. a woman, fill in the blank. And when you mentioned the losses, I just want to say, too, I think there's such pressure from the outside. I've had clients who've had multiple miscarriages and then struggle and hear even from other people, well, now you finally have a baby. Right. Why aren't you happy? Oh. And it's just adding insult to injury, right? And so I think there's also a message here that the backdrop is if you're a listener who maybe hasn't experienced it, but you might eventually be around someone who has, that we have a role and a responsibility to be really careful with our words and how we 
care for these people and be present for them. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I think here's the thing. I mean, I would wish for every woman a gorgeous transition into motherhood. I would wish that every single woman thinks that the unicorns have come out and the fairies are flying. I mean, that that's, of course. that's what we're sold. It uh-huh. should be. And I will say, I know several women who absolutely had that experience. So... I, but I think what you said that I love is that we can't assume that because we had that experience that our friend is having that experience. And I cannot tell you how many people said to me something to the effect of, oh, are you the happiest you've ever been? And I was actually the most unhappy. I'd ever, I had never been that unhappy in my whole life. Uh... And the pressure of like, you have these two beautiful, healthy babies and everyone wants you, not just asks you or expects you. They really want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. They need you to be happy. And I made a lot of people uncomfortable when I said, no, I'm actually really having a hard time. People didn't want to hear it. You know, it's supposed to be this thing with a bow on mm-hmm. it and please don't wreck my image of it. So I think exactly what you said, if you're a listener and you had a wonderful transition, you know, when you're engaging with a friend who just had a baby, I like to ask, how are you doing? Without any there's thing nothing attached, attached to, it. to it. You're not presupposing, are you so happy? Aren't you thrilled? Isn't it the best thing ever? It gives just an open-ended. It gives them room to respond in whatever way matches what's actually happening. Right. You're just holding space for their feelings. So I want to talk a little bit about how you can spot it. And, and also, as Dina brought up, what's the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression or postpartum mood disorder? And there is a real difference between the two. And it's a, something that most people misunderstand the nuance. Yeah, and I think I'm so glad you're going to talk about this because I think some people can unnecessarily maybe work themselves up. Is this postpartum depression when maybe it isn't? Mm-hmm. So these this kind of information can be helpful, but it can also go the other way. We can kind of downplay, and I've even had clients do that, oh, it's just the baby blues when I'm seeing red flags that tell me, you know, I really need to refer this person out. And so knowing those distinctions, I think, will be helpful so people don't go on either end of that spectrum unnecessarily working themselves up or maybe kind of downplaying something that does need to be addressed. Oh, absolutely. Hugely important. And and I'd love for you to hop in because, you know, I have the information statistically um, and definitely with women that I've talked to before they had babies or if they called me afterwards and said, hey, I'm having a hard time. But as a doula, you see people at, at a more regular interval than I do. So if you want to add anything to what you've seen or noticed, do. Like oh, jump, sure. jump all over these. So the big difference between the baby blues and postpartum mood disorder or postpartum depression, because that's really how those two things would look alike, is the length of time that it goes on. Um, So really, in the first six weeks after having a baby, it's pretty normal to feel just about anything. I mean, your hormones are like everywhere. Your body is everything. Um, And so women get everything from this is the best thing that ever happened to me. When can I have another one? How quickly can we make another one of these things? Um, All the way to this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I want to kill myself. I want to get out. And actually in those six weeks, all of that's actually considered the baby blues. It's considered normal. What we want to see is that women at that six-week mark are coming out. And they don't have to be all the way out, but they have to be really on a path out. Um, And that doesn't mean one good day. That means like we're going from five bad days a week to two bad days a week to one bad day a week to no bad days Mm -hmm. this week. So 
that six-week mark is really important. And here's the thing. That six-week mark also correlates with your first check-in with your midwife or your OBGYN, where they're going to really take a look at you, not your baby, and say, how are you healing? They're going to clear you for sex. They're going to clear you for exercise and all these things. And here's what happens. Women go to their OB or their midwife. I think this probably happens less with a midwife, but that's just a supposition. They go to their OB, and their OB checks them physically and says, oh, you're looking great. Everything's going great. How are you feeling? Are you so happy? I mean, my OB literally asked me that. Are you so happy? Oh, my God. And I think non-assertive women uh, feel pressured to say, I'm fine. And I think even some assertive women in the midst of all the feels and all the hormones, right, go. They will give the verbal equivalent of smile and nod. Yeah, like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm so happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And here's the problem with that. No one checks in on you ever again. It is literally women's last point of call where someone is actually checking on them and they don't have to go out and get anything. After that, it's baby. You go to the pediatrician. If you're lucky and you get a pediatrician who says, mom, how are you doing? You are lucky. But most of them don't. They're there for the baby. How's the baby doing? Baby, 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 baby. And this is why women slip through the cracks. Because at six weeks, they are still saying, well, I just really need a good night's sleep, and it's just been kind of hard, and yeah, he's kind of fussy, and they're they're making these excuses, which we all do. I did it too. And they don't say, I don't know. Let me tell you what's been going on. You tell me what you think, mm-hmm. which is what I would want every mom, if they're not sure, to say, I, I don't actually know. Can I tell you how I've been feeling, and you tell me what you think? Um, so we then get women that aren't diagnosed after that for – Who knows how long? A year. Three years. Can I say just a little something on that? As a doula, since I am not serving a clinical function, I'm really there as the support for the family. My postpartum relationship is more truncated than the care provider. And I will say two things on this that came to mind as you were talking. One is sometimes if someone feels great early on, they don't even always go to all the postpartum stuff. Mm. And that always amazes me because I always thought it was just so fun even to see how much my baby weighed. And But there's a really critical function for the mom as well. And so make sure you go to all the things. But I agree, it's not enough. And there's also, I think, a, a stigma almost about reaching out with mm-hmm. something like this. Nobody wants to be the one raising their hand and saying, I think I might need help. So even if you go the distance and you go to, I mean, with home birth, we saw the midwife four or five times in those six weeks, but still it ends at six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be some onus to let people know that it's really okay to ask. And I love how you phrase it. Well, look, can I just tell you? And then you let me know what you think. But it just struck me because I know some people, if they're doing great in that first little window, and that's more when I see someone as a doula is pretty near the beginning, it can be easy for them to even. And and I think I want to say this too. I think it's easy for us to assume that people who blow off prenatal care or postpartum care are going to be maybe socioeconomically challenged, that they maybe have other issues financially, that they maybe have a certain stat. This is not true. I have seen wealthy. I've seen upper class. I've seen um, all all races, all just you name it, entire cross-sections of people who, if they're doing great in the beginning, 
the temptation is life is busy. I'm now juggling a newborn. I'm not going to go to that appointment. So my encouragement is just go to the appointments, but also I hope we can in this talk today kind of start wiping away the stigma that it's okay to say I might need more. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it's scary because there's such a stigma attached to it and because we as women feel like somehow we've made a mistake. I've done something wrong to cause this. And I will say, I mean, one of the hardest parts for me I was very nervous about having twins. And, and I've, I've joked since I had them that, you know, people kept saying, don't worry, it'll work itself out. And I really should have been more worried. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> should have spent more time worrying about it. <laughs> um, I was worried, but I should have been more worried. Um, but the one thing I never worried about was bonding with them. Mm. And I didn't. And that was like, I mean, I just didn't plan for that. Like, I didn't see that coming. And I think most women don't. For a lot of this, you think this isn't going to happen to me. It's very rare I meet a woman who comes up to me and says, hey, I'm actually kind of worried about this postpartum depression thing. My mom had it. I've struggled with depression. What can we be doing now? And I love it when that happens, but I think it's very rare, and I'm super guilty of that myself. I have I mean, a question. Yeah. You, you, you th- do? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've, we've traded spots but again, again. I'm wondering, and just opinion, I mean, if you have – you may not have actual stats, but I'm just curious. Do you think this even is an area where people can lull themselves into that little bit of invincibility? That that won't happen to me type of a mindset. A hundred percent. Because I think for most women, not all, but for most of us, we're excited about having a baby. We feel warm and maternal. Um, we feel like it's something that we're called to do. You know, so why would you ever think? And every And here's the other thing. The media sells you. Right. This is how they sell it. Birth is going to be awful. You're going to barely survive it or you're going to humiliate yourself. But guess what? Once that baby's born, it's just all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Credits roll. You know, that's it. And no one, I mean, it's happening a bit more, but no one is showing that part. So we're also not conditioned to think it's going to happen to us. Um, so, you know, as someone whose mom had it, who had all of the risk factors, I, I really didn't see it coming. Mm. So I want to talk about how you could spot it um, because I think I spotted it early because of what I do, um, but not everyone is going right, to have that. Right, that might not be the case for everyone. Yeah. So there's two parts to this. The first one is I think a lot of this falls on the partner if there's a partner. And I say to partners all the time, you know your partner at their worst, how they handle challenges, how they view the world. That's what you're watching for. Are they coming at this the same way or are they underwater in it? And I think that's really important. If you have a partner who's usually like a go-getter, I can, you know, rock the world. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm not afraid to fail. And suddenly they can't get out of bed and they don't see a way to solve the problem. We probably have a problem. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's like I think a lot of women would say they, they weren't themselves in that time period. And I would agree. So for me... I'm the kind of person, we talked about this in the gratitude episode, little things make me happy. I'm someone who just dines out on little things, right? First cup of coffee in the morning. So we lived in this um, part of Seattle that was on a big hill. And I used to love when I drove up the hill if the light hit the trees in just a certain way. And it just warmed my heart. And if I had a cup of coffee in my hand, it was even better. <laughs> and this one day, the kids were six weeks old. I was driving them back from an appointment. And we're coming up the hill. And the light hits these trees in just the right way. And I just felt nothing. Mm. And I knew. I was like, something's wrong. That's not me. That's not who I am. Yeah. So I was really fortunate that I was able to go, "Uh uh-oh, 
this is not going to be fixed by a night's sleep. But I know a lot of women where that particular piece of information is what they hang on to. I just need a good night's sleep. And then they get a good night's sleep. And guess what? They actually feel better the next day. And then it starts to spiral again. I just need a good night's sleep. And they get a good night's sleep. And then it spirals again. And the point is you keep spiraling. And that's a sign that we're not getting better. So I think some of this falls on the partner to really be brave enough to recognize that something's wrong. We want to see the best in our partners. I know Dave, I think it was really hard for him. I think it was hard for everyone around me to see me like this because it's not me. I'm a go-getter. I'm a problem solver. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, and I was a disaster. And I think it's hard when you love someone for who they are to see them not themselves. So for the partner, that's part of it. And it's also then on the partner to keep having the conversation because we women are really good at going, no, no, it's fine. No, no, I, no, no. And the partner has to be brave enough to say, I think something's wrong. Yeah. Um, and that does take a lot of courage and oh my also vulnerability. Yeah. And you might get snapped at. Right. And then sometimes off. I think it's also not even a, if you get to a point where you feel like you can't tell the mother that you then seek out some kind of support. Your doula, call your doula, call yes, your OB please. and say, I'm concerned about my partner. Um, here's what I'm seeing. Tell me what I need to be doing. So that's number one. But for women themselves, I also think back to what you said, this piece of not being afraid to go, I might need some support and it might have nothing to do with me. So I really encourage women, if you have any of these risk factors, that you're actually putting a plan into place first. Go find yourself a therapist. Because let me tell you, trying to yelp a therapist when you are in the thick of postpartum depression is the worst. I can't even imagine. So, And then you're having to meet and greet and do the whole – I mean, anybody who's ever done therapy knows that finding a therapist is hard enough. Because that is so much about finding the right fit. Right. And you have to – for me, I had to get childcare. Please do every that time. in advance. So find oh. someone that you're like, this is someone that if – really things got bad, I could go and talk to this person. Um, and you and I talk about having someone on speed dial anyway. Absolutely. So do it in advance. Here's the other piece, though. That's proactive. And it we is. love we being love proactive. proactive. But here's the other thing. And I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I think that sometimes the fear is also around the medication. People think, oh, my gosh, if I get diagnosed with this, that is a one-way ticket to medication bill. And I will say that based on some stuff in my family history, I was not comfortable ever going on the meds and we treated it naturally. Now, I actually think the meds are amazing and I think a lot of women benefit from them. I'm not anti-medication at all. I want to be perfectly clear. I know several people where the meds literally saved their lives. I love the meds. They just weren't for me. Um, so I think there's that too to know that, okay, just because I get diagnosed with this, if the, if you are worried about the medication piece, there are actually a lot of options mm -hmm. and ways to handle it. Therapy is one of them. So you got to mm -hmm. be super open to going and, and having those hard conversations. Um, but it doesn't have to mean medication if that's something that doesn't feel good to you. It can and be just as beneficial. Sure. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I just come back to the the reaching out, reaching out. And here's the other problem is that the fallout if it's untreated. Because I think, again, we, we, want, we want to not have this problem. And there, unfortunately, is a fallout. People who don't have this treated sometimes really never do bond with their children and struggle with that, the whole relationship. Um, they continue to suffer from depression because it's been untreated. It develops into other things. It affects how they feel about parenthood. So I call myself like a mom convert 
because I literally went from thinking this was the worst thing that had ever happened to me and like why did I think this was a good idea and now I'm stuck in this life that Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted um to now I mean it's the best thing that ever happened to me I love it I love my children and and I have a wonderful experience of parenthood most of the time um (laughs) so but that I really don't know what that would have looked like if I hadn't gone and, and gotten help for most people, postpartum mood disorders clear up after the first year. Psychosis is different. So again, that's an emergency. We must treat it right away. Um, but that fallout, that residual effect. Um, so I just kind of want our listeners to hear like a real story from the real trenches. Um, and Dave and I are still, I mean, we're still unpacking this. Like just the other day we were talking about it and I can't remember how it came up, but I mentioned that there was a day in the shower I was in the shower and I was like sobbing because I was just so unhappy. And um, and in my mind, I was writing like a suicide note, like, I'm done. I'm out. This is over. And he didn't know. And and it was so interesting that like, I mean, we were really close in that time and he was incredible. I mean, I don't know how that man survived that whole experience because um, his wife was like flattened and we had two babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I guess he never realized it got that bad. And he was shocked. He was like, I had no idea. You seem to be functioning not like that. It didn't yeah. seem like it was like that. So again, it's like communicate, 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 and and know that even if you are as dark as I was, that there's actually light at the end of this tunnel if you can go and get some help. Like you can actually come through that to the other side to think this is actually the best thing that ever happened to me and thank God I did it. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, of course. It's And it's, I'm thankful. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. And that's really authentic and raw and not easy. We're doing a lot of that this season, I feel like. Yes, I think think that's happening a little bit more than it was in season one, for sure. But it's, it's critical. And it, it's, it's just so important. So I love your suggestion that people make that contingency plan. You know, maybe you aren't even like Kira, you don't have this laundry list of factors that are going to give you this propensity toward it. But there's really no harm in still having some things ready to go and a plan for how you would handle this. You can even have the just-in-case plan. There's nothing wrong with that. And since we're such fans of being proactive rather than reactive anyway, that just seems smart because then you're not, like you said, trying to yelp a therapist when you're in the depths of despair. That just sounds awful anyway. I wouldn't even want to do that when I'm feeling okay. But I think that's really big. I think the awareness that you've brought, some of the distinctions, how do you tell, remembering that it can come from your birth itself. I think I've seen a lot of people who, whether it was a certain intervention or whether it was a cesarean that wasn't wanted or was unexpected, that can really trigger this feeling that instead of my birth being something I did, it was something that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And just that removal of power and removal of I was part of it can also, I mean, there's so many things that can spark this. So I think we want you as our listeners just to be aware and be watching. Or if you're a spouse or partner, be watching. That is your person and you don't want to let them drift away just because somebody or both of you was too scared to speak up. Yeah. And I think there's an an interesting piece here about partner because, you know, I'm a huge advocate of partners being involved, showing up overnight, right? Nancy talked about it on her episode, how important it is for the partner to be a part of that. And I think this is part of that. One of the things that can cause this is not feeling supported by your partner. So partners, you must, must show up 
You must, Mm -hmm. because it's crucial and critical. Saying that, there's one more little piece I want to say. So the statistics on this are are varied, um, mostly because we only have statistics on women who are diagnosed, and it's not all women are diagnosed. So these are women who actually admit to having had this thing. Um, They vary somewhere between 3 in 10 women in the U.S., all the way up to 5 in 10 women, which is half which is insanity that that many women are struggling with this and maybe not getting what they need. Um, But there's an interesting statistic, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, so forgive me, but it's something like 1 in 84 men suffer from postpartum Mm -hmm. mood disorder. Uh, It's not quite the same chemical. It's more about the life change because, let's be honest, having a baby turns your life upside down. It's quite disruptive. But men can have that same thing of, what was I thinking? This was a terrible idea. And, of course, what they don't have that women often have, though some of us like myself don't initially, is the connection to the baby, that maternal instinct. So now they have a little person who's turned their whole life upside down. It especially happens if the birth has been traumatic and the father or birth partner feels like the baby did that to the woman I love. Hmm. And so there can be a real distance and removing of, I don't want anything to do with that thing that almost killed my wife. Yeah. Right. What an interesting take on that. That's kind of an interesting spin, almost blaming the baby. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really. But it's really, part of the mental but piece, sure, right? I mean, it makes sense when you say it like that. It's just so stark to think about. So great. Yeah. They're like, a, the baby's point. like a reminder of this thing where you thought your wife was going to right. die. So. It's there's just a host of stuff in yeah. here. I'm swearing on the inside because I don't want to swear on this episode, but um, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So it's important for women too, mm. if they're in heterosexual relationships, to be aware of their men. Yeah. And if you're not in a heterosexual relationship, just in general, to be aware of the partner. Yeah. Every, everyone is is a little bit at risk here, and everyone's life's about to be turned upside down. So just really keeping an eye on each other, look and out for each loving other, loving each other well, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm almost thinking this, the quote I chose is so perfect based on some of the things you said, but it also might need unpacking. So if you have to say more, say more. But I do think there's an interesting link between strength and fear and that it takes strength to admit we're having a fear or a struggle. So it just, as you were talking, I thought, well, that's really interesting. So here's what I picked. I'm going to be curious what you think. So this is from the tot spot. And the quote is, being a mother is learning about the strengths you didn't know you had and dealing with fears you didn't know existed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're both a little weepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think and I could not true. have known that. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I, think that's, I think that's really true. So before we finish up on a completely different note, we're going to move it over to the positive side. Um, Happy things. Happy things. I just want to let our listeners know. So right around the time that Dina and I started this podcast, I was hired so randomly and wonderfully um, as a voice actor because I still do voice acting. I was hired to host another podcast um, about animal wildlife conservation. So nothing to do with parenting. Um, It's so cool. It's called The Edge Conservation Podcast. It just went live. We interview people all over the world who are literally on the ground changing the world for animal conservation. Uh, We've interviewed an Academy Award winning documentary filmmaker, a guy who has an elephant farm, a woman who discovered different types of giraffe DNA, which changed their ranking on the endangered species list, Um, a guy who's changing the world with his coffee company. And I only buy his coffee now after that interview. I mean, it's really it's really 
awesome. And so if you like my voice um, and you want to hear more of it, uh, please support the podcast. It's for a great, great cause, the Edge Conservation Podcast. We're on all the all the places. It's amazing. I've already been listening. And I will say, I'm going to say a serious thing and then i got to say just a funny thing that might be a little teaser for people because I, it's a hook for me already. But not only is it such an important thing, all of the human and wildlife interactions and just how we can help, it's, it's super important. So I'm enjoying it already. Maybe someday I'll get to talk about my background with this. I've I have a big I have a thing for big cats. So and I've worked with them some. So I love that. But also, if you're a fan of getting to hear amazing and beautiful accents from all over the world, tune into this podcast. It is delicious. It's like a buffet for your ears. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I just have been loving it. I'm just getting all these different samples and just it it, it not only the content is so great, but I think that also just lures you. Some of these voices are almost like a gentle lullaby. I love it as a person who just enjoys all the different sounds of around the world. You're going to get that in this podcast. So check it out. Yeah. And of course, the irony is as the host, so I write all the questions. So I basically get to just say, I have a question all through the How episode. How perfect is yeah, this for you, Kira? literally made for me. Um, so do check it out, the Edge Conservation Podcast. So we hope you enjoyed today's discussion on postpartum mood disorder. Thank you for listening and just for showing up for it because it's it's such an important one. And I hope that even if you're listening and you never went through it and maybe you've already had your children, that you'll be able to bring some of this to the people in your lives that may be dealing with it and you may not even know about it. So we appreciate you being with us. And as always, you can contact us, info at futurefocusedparenting.com. Be sure to go to the website to check out all the different things we've got on there for sale and for free, including our attribute of the month. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>